Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up here! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Hey folks, I want to talk to you about an important piece of gear that you need. Check out Cajun Hunting Lights. I don't care if you're a coon hunter in the east, a big game hunter in the west, or a leopard hunter in South Africa. Having a light that is functional is important to running these hounds. I particularly like the Micro Gator Hunting Headlight when I'm bear hunting. It's small, it's lightweight, it's compact and it's highly functional bright white lights red lights green lights it's all in that one small package but i just keep it on a cap early in the mornings looking inspecting tracks things like that i'm not uh, getting a little handheld flashlight out there 
It's on my head when I'm looking at something, the light's shining on it. It's awesome. And then, of course, you get into their high-performance end with the Rogaroo and their intermediate light. They're all highly functional. And the thing about Cajun lights is the customer service. It's a high-quality light, and LW is going to take care of you on the customer service. He just opened up a new store front in Tyner, North Carolina. You should stop in and check it out. It'd be a great place to hang out, swap a few stories, and uh, pick up a new light from Cajun Lights. You can find them at CajunLights.com. Morning's rolling. Brian Lamb with the Sportsman's Alliance. How you doing, Brian? I'm pretty good. Great to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you back again. Um, it's been a while since you've been on here. It's uh, probably last year or so, but thought we would yeah. thought we'd have a little catch up session here and and find out what's been going on and and uh, this time of year is just people are thinking about hunting and stuff, but but we're probably being a little bit complacent, you know, thinking that uh, we came off a pretty good year with Colorado and I mean just crazy stuff happened in Arizona, Colorado, California, California. Uh, Vermont. We Washington of, State, but we lost there. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but, but it was uh, big Western, uh, big Western push that the other side put on this year for predator management, and then of course they stayed on their favorite targets in the East, New Hampshire, Vermont, you know, and a couple other places. So yeah, it, uh, it was it was a busy session. It's starting to slow down. We're in the summer lull. All the politicians going back home and uh, hitting the campaign trail, trying to get reelected, and and uh you know putting their hand out to get money and no talking out both sides of their mouth depending on who they're talking to <laughs> you got it you got it if you so, got yeah. money i'm your friend yeah so so a lot of the state stuff has slowed down there's still a handful that are in year round uh yeah, explain some of that to me brian because you know in in my experience in my experience you know legislative sessions end in april but we got some states that that are rolling year round yeah, yeah. And there's some that go on like two year sessions. So something can even if something doesn't come up during the real active time, they're technically still in session or the bills don't actually die for a two year cycle. And I'm not that far down in the weeds with the with the government affairs guys uh, that can, I, I can recite them all. But uh, yeah, there's still a handful that you know, are technically, even if they're not in session, they're still in session. Um, but, you know, most of them have hit the summer lulls and are, you know, <laughs> hit the campaign trail, raising money, doing whatever. But, you know, I think California, New York, uh, for sure. And then there's a couple others that are in pretty much year round. So at any time, crazy stuff could pop up, right. you know, so the second half of the year, there's probably going to be crazy one-upsmanship on uh, some of this stuff that they're going to try to get past before the end of the year. You know, just in case somebody doesn't know who you are, if they haven't heard the past episodes you're on, just tell us who you are and, and what you do for Sportsman's Alliance. And then I want to talk about Sportsman's Alliance a little bit and why it's important, why I want to run this episode right now. Uh, we're going to talk about that, why we need to be listening to this right now and getting ready for the fall. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, 
Let's see, my background, let's see, I've been with Sportsman's Alliance, ooh, coming up on eight years, I guess, in October. Uh, so uh, I run the marketing, communications, everything from social media to our quarterly magazine, to website stuff, to podcasts and public comment and working with the media and whatever else. Uh, and I come from an editorial background at uh, Outdoor Life magazine, ESPNoutdoors.com, and ran the sporting dog section there and headline news and conservation. So I've kind of worked with everybody in the industry um, for 22 years now. I, I remember when I was the young guy in the crowd. Now I'm just another old white dude in the industry. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. So, uh, yeah, been doing that. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where I come from. And, and it's kind of a perfect job that I love. Uh, I've, I've always uh, had this kind of streak in me that I don't like to be told what to do. And pretty much the animal rights movement is trying to tell us what to do and take away logical, scientifically proven methods and break the model that we work under, you know, and for North American wildlife. And so, you know, how, how I, I kinda, get, how do they get traction, Brian? I don't, I don't, I still can't wrap my brain around why they would get any traction at all with wildlife managers. I mean, it drives me crazy when I see, you know, these wildlife focus groups, study groups, and coming from a state agency that's supposed to be based on North American model. And yet, they they give you a breakdown of the group members or the board members and it includes animal welfare animal rights people how does that happen i mean they're good uh they're smart and you know it's a we're in a democracy republic whatever where equal representation plays out and a lot of their stuff sounds good on the surface you know and, and they spin it really well you know and in the last 30, 40, 50 years, you know, starting in the 70s really is when they came to America um, and started well, was working. Was that The Winds of Autumn? Was that the big documentary that kind of really launched that? Well, it, it goes back, I mean, kind of the 70s is when they got involved in the political system, you know, and that's when, you know, kind of this Pete Singer out of the UK and everybody, this anti-meat movement and animal rights stuff. And it's a real philosophical, you know, issue. And they came at it like that. And then they parlayed, you know, kind of this idea of attaching <laughs> to, you know, very obtuse thoughts on this philosophical level, you know, yeah. to, you know, legal terms and legal, legal movements. You know, and it, you know, it starts with, you know, well, if a baby can't speak and doesn't understand words and your dog can take, you know, 14 commands, which one's actually more sentient, hmm. you know, things like that. That's just absurd, yeah. you know, and, and they move it forward, you know, to the point where recently there's been court cases on elephants deserving personhood. Exactly. Literally, literally in New, court. New York State. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're, so they're trying this with the great apes and elephants, which, you know, have a higher, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, a higher uh, mental or whatever capacity than, say, a moth or a, you know, a slug or something or even a deer. 
you know, and they're more attractive and, and to uh, to the general public. And so they're trying it here. They'll move it forward later. And that's kind of been their M.O. for the last 50 years is get a toehold and move in. At the same time, we have this kind of ecological, you know, stuff being taught in schools that even biologists are taking or, you know, there's different tracks from game management to ecology. And so you get this whole idea of, well, we need to have this complete ecosystem of wolves and predators and this and that for us to be whole. Like we're somehow broken, you know, we're from a broken family if we don't have wolves on the landscape, right. which we haven't had them for a hundred years and everything's worked pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's not to say that we don't need wolves or we can't have them on there on the landscape, but we definitely need to manage them. You can't turn an apex predator loose in a completely managed system I think, and not expect to be chaos. I think you know, if, if they want to have wolves in Los Angeles and Seattle and Portland, New York city, then, you know, I think central park could hold some wolves. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and that's basically the crux of the issue here. It, it's a culture war, you know, it's, it's, they don't understand us. And most of the American public doesn't understand us. Most right. of the American public are found in cities. And those are voting blocks, big voting blocks that can control states. You know, one or two cities in every state controls it, you know. And so they can craft a message that's very, you know, it is very impactful and can sway an ignorant person. And it's not bad to be ignorant. It just means without knowledge. It's bad if you to, choose to be ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> after you have that knowledge, that's just called stupidity. Right. Yeah. So, Nothing you know, wrong with ignorance. There's just a problem with you you being happy to stay there. You yeah. Know, that, that's exactly. a that's a crazy thing about about. It is hard for us to understand where these people are coming from, um, and it's hard to bridge those gaps and and educate and do different things. Because it is frustrating, but at the same time, it's a cultural war, like you said. I mean, it's it, it's they. I was watching, man. What was I watching? It was a it was a show, and it seems like Hollywood can never get it right, you know, as far as hunting goes and things like that. And then you got a guy like Jack Carr. Are you familiar with Jack and his Terminal List series? Uh, yes. One that, yeah. So. The kid's watching it, yeah. Yeah, Jack Carr and his books did such a great job of... I was listening to it for the action part of it and, you know, the auto audio books and stuff when I travel. And and it gets to these places where Jack Carr is talking about hunting and, and the value of hunting and, and things like that. So I'm like, yes, finally, you know, somebody... A New York best-selling author is talking about hunting in the right way and representing it like it should be. And then when you get to the TV series, then they miss the mark, you know, yeah. and, and that's the Hollywood influence side of it. I, yeah. I, I want to ask Jack how he feels about how they misrepresented hunting in the Terminal List series, the, the, the video series, one of these days. Yeah, no, there was a, uh, I remember an article when I was at ESPN, James Swan wrote it, and he has a background in psych psychiatry and psychology and stuff, and uh, you know, he wrote a piece on how Hollywood has changed. I mean, Disney used to be Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett was a 
show. Yeah. You know, and they went from that and it's gone to Bambi to everything else to this anthropomorphism that has infected society. And now every bad guy is a hunter. Like you watch, I mean, we, I was watching old school last week and the bad guy on, on old school, uh, Jeremy Priven is he's got mounts on his wall and he's the bad guy, you know? So it's always this ominous and there's a psychological thing that, you know, yep. hunting bad and the hunter is the bad guy. And, and yeah, so it's interesting. Well, that's what we're up against for sure. And, and you, you talked about, you know, the, the, urban society type stuff we've we've been running a little more stuff here lately on the show about you know living living our lives closer to the land living simple living free is a is a hashtag that we came up with uh for social for social media and it you know we did a a piece a couple weeks ago on gardening and food preservation we're going to build on that a little bit and there's a reason why we're doing that because we had a guest on once. His name's Mike Thorman. He's still active with the Michigan uh, United Michigan Hunting Dog Federation. And um, Mike made the comment: the farther people get away from the farm, the less they understand how our natural world works. And so we want to still talk about those things and bring some of that stuff back because most of our crowd is still living pretty close to the land and and self-sufficient and kind of like you don't like people telling them what to do they don't they don't want people definitely don't need people that don't have any base for their knowledge sticking their nose in their business yeah and i think that's the biggest thing is for me is it's like Man, I don't care what you do in Cincinnati. Yeah. I don't care what you do downtown Cincinnati. I just stop telling me what to do out here. Why why did yeah. you think why did they think that they have any business telling me how I should live my life? You know, it yeah. just aggravates the crap. Oh yeah, me it. too. Yeah, and, and they have no like you said, no base for it, no understanding of it, no concept nor do they have to deal with the consequences and repercussions of it. Yeah. I you mean, know? if I go, you can say don't kill wolves or don't kill bears here in Washington, but they're not the ones that pay the, you know, downtown Seattle isn't paying that price. They're not having their livestock or their dogs or whatever killed. Right. You know? So they are elk hunters, elk hunters going out into the mountains, pay, you know, waiting on lifetime draws, you know, they've contributed thousands and thousands of dollars in their lifetime to wildlife conservation only to see the, the resource being wiped out by an apex predator that has no stops and no, no, you know, uh, they can just, no altruism that they can, yeah, yeah, know to stop, you know. Yeah. But somehow, I, I look at it like this, you know, I, I, Indianapolis has the Indy 500. I don't go to Indianapolis in May and start campaigning, campaigning early in the year to tell them how to park cars in Indy. You know, it's, I, it's not my expertise. And, and you don't, if I lived there and they were parking cars in the street in front of my house and blocking my driveway, I would have something to say. But from where I'm at, that doesn't affect me. So I just keep my nose out of it. It's not yeah. my business, and I, I, it just makes me crazy that people think that they can have a say in every stinking thing. Yeah, you know, and but that's uh, part of the system we work under, you know, democracy and 
in in voice and you know unfortunately the cities are the ones we're going against you know every every city you know every every state has a city or two that control everything yeah. you know and that's what we run into with ballot initiatives is what you run into with legislation you know and there's a you know with that message when they decide to launch that message somewhere there's going to be a lot of people who are ignorant about the issue in that city and so they can get a toehold they can get media they can you know get a politician to go oh i got constituents that want this i have to do something and they yeah a lot of them think they're doing something good they don't understand again they ignorant to the subject now there are those that have that axe to grind and that is part of their personal agenda you know and you're not going to get anywhere with them politician or otherwise but a lot of them just think they're doing something good and when you can sit down and explain it to them they go oh okay and they'll amend it or kill it or whatever i i've been searching for somebody that will answer this question for me and uh -oh. yeah so i'm putting you on the spot right here the first tenet of the north american model for wildlife conservation is that wildlife is a public trust should be held in a public trust that was written in 19 i'm going to say the 1920s maybe the 1930s i can't remember exactly but it's it's a it's a is that still viable in 2022 100 years later knowing how our culture has changed and knowing how politicized wildlife management has become is the first tenant still viable and applicable today's, in your opinion, in today's wildlife management plan. Yeah, because in that, within that tenant, I wrote about this camera, this, it was the last issue of the issue before in our magazine, because it doesn't say, you know, they, they like, they're using the model against us even, and they're using that one, that it's a public resource and the democracy of hunting. Uh -huh. which are great buzzwords, but that's not what the, it says. It doesn't say majority rule. You know, it says it's held in public trust to do with what's what everybody wants, but underlying what is sustainable and what is best for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now you can have, say we shouldn't kill deer or elk or wolves or whatever it is, Mountain but that's, that's what's best for the other animals. Mm-hmm not killing wolves or managing wolves is not good for the deer herds. Knocking the deer herds down to an unsustainable level or to a point that hunters can't buy tags isn't good for conservation or the deer herds or any of the animals themselves. So it's not that they get to, that the public has a overarching say, they get to put their two cents in, but it's up to the state agencies to manage those resources for the best for for the public for the people all people and the animals themselves the ecosystems themselves it's not like mob rule it's yeah. you get your two cents but here's what's best for those resources themselves but you know as well as i do that a lot of these people who are well all of them in charge of these state agencies are bureaucratic appointments or political appointments so they're bureaucrats very seldom it seems that that we end up with what's we're taking out what's best for the resource out of it and focusing more on what the majority of the people 
want. And a perfect example of that is our Bobcat season here in the state of Indiana. The science was there. The data was all, all you know, uh, organized and, and everything. It goes to a public hearing. The hunters didn't show up. The anti-hunting crowd did show up. So guess what? We have no Bobcat season. And at the same time, you know, I've got trail cams out here on my property and people are, I'm getting pictures, people on the roads are seeing them, which is very unusual, which tells me the populations yeah. are high if you're seeing them crossing roads. Um, and yet, yet we have no bobcat season because the political appointees only took into the account the part that it's a public trust and what the public wants is what we have to do and they throw the science to the side too many times and and don't do what's best for the resource yeah yeah no that's true um and then you also run into the fact that okay if you open up if, if they open up a season is that going to invite a lawsuit from the other side which is then going to be a financial burden upon upon the uh, the exactly. departments and well, beyond that. Actually, a lawsuit isn't even that scary. What's scary is a ballot initiative. And so, if like you open up a bobcat season, and HSUS goes, "No, we don't like that. We're going to come in there. We're going to run a ballot initiative." They're not just going to stop at bobcats. They're going to go for a big bang and say, "Let's end trapping altogether. Let's end." bobcats and whatever they'll, they'll turn it into a coalition like they do in you know uh several other states where you know arizona being the late latest where it's wildcats so i'm glad you brought up lawsuit because yeah. they are not afraid of us filing lawsuits though you know i've i've said why aren't why aren't we organizing and filing wrongful death suits against u.s fish and wildlife service for people that are getting killed and mauled by grizzlies and the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Why hasn't somebody done that? Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I'm sure there's some exactly. This part is just two parcel. guys talking. Yeah, I'm sure it's some part and parcel of you're accepting you're accepting that when you go into the back backwoods, you know, same as same reason as you know, you get lost and die out hiking. But they're failing to manage a, a resource that has got the data behind it. I mean, we've we've had to shut down grizzly seasons in the lower 48 because of injunctions and different things, yep. and yet yet our our tourists, our hunters, our professional outfitters are getting killed because the government is failing to manage. Yeah, reason. you know, and and actually, I mean, their hands are tied too. It's it's not that they they don't want to, you know, because they've been on it too. They've called for the de delisting of them you know, in the distinct populations, but it's a judge's ruling and it comes down to legalities and words. And then, oh, this data isn't there or that data isn't there. You know, so there is a path forward, you know, and, and the grizzly, the grizzly situation is mirroring the Great Lakes wolf situation. You know, it's, it's oh, basically coming out of the one. same arguments. Yeah. It's the yeah. same legal arguments that are going on. And so there is a path forward there. So Fish and Wildlife now has to cross the T's, dot the I's, show a couple of things. Now, once they do, will the other side, of course, come up with a new argument and stuff? Sure yes, they will. But we're taking those things away slowly, but it's going to be a while. I, I didn't mean, 
Well, I guess I didn't mind putting you on the spot there, but my my yeah. whole thing, <laughs> my whole thing was, you know, they fear legal action from the anti crowds, but they do not fear any legal action from us. It's almost like from the hunting crowd. It's almost like, well, they're our friends and they're trying to do the best thing, and and we're kind of sitting there with our hats in our hands not wanting to call them out. And I think a little bit of fear on their side from the gut, the government side to say, Hey, we, we have a responsibility here. And if we don't, then we need to be just as concerned about the hunting groups standing up and following these lawsuits. Like, like the anti hunters are. So just a yeah. thought, one of those random thoughts you have when you're, when you're putting in hours of windshield time and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you have to have a, a crux of an argument and while they're, you know, on our side, there's, again, it comes down to words, right? Like if we were looking at it here in Washington and the mandate for bears or for hunting is may, may do this, may maximize, may institute, not shall. It's kind right. of the same idea as concealed carry or whatever. It's shall versus may, mm-hmm. may, issue or may create a season not that they have to and the science has to be there and so now the other side can argue that the science isn't there we can't you can't like prove a negative and say you know the science is there (laughs) just don't look at anything else so it becomes a and they're very good on the philosophical side and they're good you know with uh picking apart it's easy to sit and pick apart something you know, and defending it gets harder and harder. They've got a lot of organization. We've said it before, a lot of organization, a lot of money, uh, you know, strategizing that whole thing. Well, they got a ton of lawyers too. Look at Center for Biological Diversity, dozens and dozens of lawyers, and they just burn through them. And then if they get, I mean, this goes back to the refuge case that we're involved in. Uh, If they sue, and they have all these in-house lawyers. It's not actually costing them all these lawyers' fees because they're full-time employees. Just cost them their work time, which they're paying them anyways for. So they can file suit, file suit, file injunctions, do whatever they want. And if they get the government to settle on one little piece, they can get those lawyers' fees covered by the general public, mm-hmm. by the taxpayers. So there's no net loss for them. So it's sue and settle and move the needle incrementally. How do we stay ahead of it, Brian? I mean, you guys there at Sportsman's Alliance are obviously you don't have, I mean, these, you take a, you take a group like biological diversity or the mountain lion foundation or whatever. I mean, they, they appeal to people's heartstrings and, and run TV ads and campaigns and people are flooding them with money and writing off the donations and, I mean, it just seems like an uphill battle all the time. And then you take an organization like the Sportsman's Alliance that is trying to appeal to 6% of the population to support them. I mean, how are you guys doing it? Yeah, it's 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 tough. It's a, <laughs> it's a little bit, well, who was it, Sisyphus? Or who was the Greek person that rolled the rock up the hill and uh, every morning started over? 
Uh, that's kind of what it's like with the legislative season. It's like we're rolling that rock up the hill or trying to catch all the rocks that fall down and not let any of them get to the bottom, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have emotional messaging. They are great at tying in buzzwords, you know, climate change, and they, they pull in all these disparate things to make it seem like animals are endangered or whatever species is endangered and on the brink. And, you know, there's this underlying idea in our culture, you know, nobody wants to go back to where we were, which I agree with. Um, but where we're we were, also, what, right? what do you mean where we were back turn of the century when, you know, resources were destroyed, you know, there was no management, there was no rules, market hunting, clear cutting, you know, without, without riparian zones, without anything where it's just about collecting as much of the resources you can with no care in the world for the impact down the road. Yeah. You know, which is what the North American model developed out of. Right. You know, we, we, we recognized that these things were taking place and it wasn't sustainable, you know? Mm -hmm. So we put the model in place that made it sustainable. And now they're just, taking that and pushing it further and further and further where sustainable now means you can't kill anything. You know, they're, they're slowly changing definitions and hearts and minds. And, uh, you know, for somebody that isn't part of this, they don't understand that. So they're being, you know, the, the non hunter is stuck in this spot where, you know, everybody would rather err on the side of caution, mm -hmm. you know, actually you know, there was a, uh, uh, game commissioner in Washington state who said that, and she's openly anti-hunting, anti-predator manager. She's a lawyer for the other side uh, to keep grizzlies and wolves protected here in Washington state. And she pulled out the precautionary principle and actually said it in a commission meeting. Well, you don't quite have all the data. You can have overwhelming data, but you don't have all the data. So we need to take the precautionary principle. And that's what she ran with. And that's, you know, there's an underlying ethos or, you know, feeling sentiment, I think, for all of us that, well, if we're not positive on something, we should probably be conservative in the approach to doing it. It's just human nature. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's not always <laughs> common sense isn't always common. You know, it's, right. it's not always the, the picture there. And they used a whole lot of muddying the science and distraction and big words and uh, scare stuff and precautionary principles, ideas to end bear hunting in Washington state. When there is absolutely zero need, you're, we're talking about taking 164 bears off the landscape in, in a the state, state of that, Washington. Yeah. In Spring season state. permit, permit only two, three little zones. And that was it. But they ended that. Now they'll move it a little further, a little further. Hey, have you guys heard of Dogs Are Treed? That's that company that we keep plugging on this podcast because Dogs Are Treed supports your lifestyle. And they do that by contributing to all kinds of hound associations across the United States. But the way they really do it is they produce products that are useful for you and your hounds. When you look at their products like Dogs Are Hydrated, you're going to keep those dogs hydrated in this hot, hot weather. And then paws are protected. You got to keep a hound on his feet if you want him to keep hunting. And then their tie-outs, their premium tie-outs are out of this world. We just 
been talking about them on social media and stuff. You know, literally, uh, Lauren says she can get dogs out of the truck and tied out in under five minutes. We're going to have to see a video on that. But check out Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com. Enter that promo code HXP20% off. You're going to get 20% off your order on the best gear in the industry by the best company in the industry that's producing high-quality gear for you. Check out Dogs Are Treed. Also, check out Freedom Hunters. Fall is coming, folks. If you haven't made plans with me yet to coordinate a Freedom Hunters event, take America's Heroes, our returning veterans who've coming off active duty, recently home from deployment, or somebody that's a veteran or a Gold Star family member that wants to get into hunting, Freedom Hunters is the thing to pursue. I've been on several of these events. They're high class or high quality. You heard Seth talk about going to uh, Canada, British Columbia with Freedom Hunters. He had a blast. We did a whole episode about it. You're missing the boat. If you're not paying it back, check out Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org. Now let's get back to this show with Brian Lynn. What's the glimmer of hope on the horizon? I think we had a really good year in... So far this year, I thought we've had a really good year. You guys, you guys took it on the chin there, and in Washington, losing the bear season, and um, uh, Vermont. What they go through with coyote trapping, or what was? Yeah, it? they had coyotes with. Yeah, they had coyote trapping. I think there was some hound, bear, hound stuff that might have been New Hampshire. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Vermont had uh, a bear hound deal that they that just went to sleep it it didn't go anywhere it died yeah yeah and uh yeah in uh vermont there was a couple of different trapping issues coyotes and then types of traps and something else there was like three different issues going on at the same time and yeah pretty much stopped those for the most part so is there is there anything going on um with organizations like the sportsman's alliance collaborating with other groups um out there to build to build a united front with either farm bureaus or um protect the harvest or or anything yeah yeah we we talk with the protect the harvest guys quite a bit um but uh yeah i mean like our name sportsman's alliance like we're an alliance we'll work with just about anybody and we do depending on issues um you know, and so we're like, okay, so I mean, right now we've been out in California talking with folks out there, both at the state level state groups, as well as all the other national groups about what's going on with the firearms marketing bill. You know, we, we started alerting to this back in April. Well, go into and, it. Tell us what it is, because I'm not sure so, that one of my so this is part of, understands it. Yeah. So Gavin Newsom just signed this bill into law June 30th, you know. And we were telling everybody, this is bad. This is really bad, you know? And so this is part of the whole California anti-gun, make our community safer, blah, blah, blah. So this gal, uh, I can't remember. She's out of San Diego, I think, uh, wrote a law basically saying you can't market firearms to kids. Kind of piggybacking on the idea of advertising alcohol or cigarettes to kids. Yep. The old, the old Camel characters. Joe. The old, remember? Yeah. Remember Camel Joe, and he was a cartoon character, and they had to um, had to stop yeah. using that because it was appealing to kids. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
that uh, that's what this law was framed after, right? So you can see that would make sense to people. Like, oh, yeah. You know, well, if you stop and you look at it, one, on the most surface level, that starts to include things like the Daisy Red Rider BB gun. The box, the cover of the box is a cartoon cowboy. Mm -hmm. That's technically a firearm. Right. So, you know, it also said anything that it's was... Gate, it's a gateway firearm. Yeah. Anything that was made that would be designed for children. And, I mean, he got up there, Gavin Newsom got up there holding a junior AR and saying, who would do this? Look, they're they're just training our kids, indoctrinating them into this, into this gun culture, and they're killing our kids. Well, it's not our kids that are killing people, first of all, but... You have the whole marketing angle, mm -hmm. you know, but it went further than that. So what it said was anybody in the firearms industry, which would include people, associations, organizations, trusts, whatever, that would do anything to promote or promote the use of the buying of or whatever of firearms to children were guilty. And there was a civil civil penalty so that the state didn't even have to go after you. If So here's the scary part. What's Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain, when they hold a youth hunt or when you got your people shooting your, your clay pigeons and you have a clay pigeon shoot for 4-H, for, you know, whatever the uh, different uh, organization, those are organizations who are promoting the use of firearms in completing whatever else they're doing so you have to use a firearm to go do this and it was twenty five thousand dollars per child so if you have a youth duck hunt with 10 kids that's a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine that the state doesn't have to levy joe blow down the road could be like hey he just had the youth duck hunt i'm suing him wow and so then and so then you're stuck so we're working with everybody you know big at the national level and the state level out in California right now to address that. Something will probably move next week with that. Um, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is a big partner on the Grizzlies and the Wolves, Wolf case and the refuge case now. So we're, we're fighting the refuge case and uh, the lead ban that they're trying to move through and, and, and push. And so, yeah, we, we work with just about everybody and anybody, depending on, you know, what the issue is and who's interested, because a lot of our, a lot of our industry is segmented into verticals, right? You got your ducks, you got your turkeys, you got different uh, species or interests for the sportsman's lines. We don't care, like hunting, fishing, trapping, we, we go across the gamut, you know, doesn't matter if it's ducks and, and shotguns or if it's, using slugs for deer and they're lead and they're saying you can't use it or trapping, you know, coyotes are running hounds for bears or yotes or cats or whatever. We like it all and we're going to defend right. it all. Right. Yeah. Well, let's break down some, some of the, the different issues, the big ticket items that, that people should be paying attention to right now. I think the, the firearms marketing deal, and that's just, I see Hunter Education, National Shooting yep. Sports Foundation, all of that stuff, you know, that's, that's, and you say that that law has already passed. Yep. 
It's on the books right now. So yeah. any going forward in the state of California, that stuff is all gone. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you can do it, but you're going to run the risk of getting sued if you're with, if you meet the definition of uh firearms industry person. Well, who's a beneficiary or, or in a lawsuit? You know, if I, if I say I'm the guy, I'm the guy that's down the road and I file the suit, who ends up being the beneficiary on that lawsuit? I imagine it would be the state, but no, but I believe it is kind of going after the other things that are modeled. So if you know, because if you, it says, if you are, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be the state, but it could be the individual if they Man, feel they were hurt or wronged or whatever. Yeah, you know? there you go. So it kind of goes hand in hand with what's going on with the, with the whole gun gun stuff right now that they're trying to make it so you can sue the gun manufacturers, which is a protected, you know, entity. You can't, you can't sue a, a manufacturer. Huh? You can't, you can't sue a vaccine company, but, but they want to yeah. make it legal. To- <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 the, you can still sue. Here's the great thing. Like, again, the media gets it wrong. You can sue the gun manufacturer if their gun blows up, if it right. doesn't work right, but you can't sue them because somebody uses it illegally. You know, you don't sue Ford because a drunk driver, you know, crashed right. their car and killed somebody with it. But that's where they're trying to go with it. And that's what they're trying to pull over and mm-hmm. tell the world and tell tell the general public is that, you know, we protect firearms industry folks, but we don't protect anybody else. It's BS. Yeah. You know, but uh, so this is kind of where that's trying to open that door, you know, so there's a couple of different constitutional issues with it. Uh, yeah. So we're pretty confident in in moving that forward. Um, so that's the big one. Uh, the refuge case, National Wildlife Refuge case is huge. You know, this has the potential to move to, you know, to ban the use of lead ammunition fishing tackle Mm -hmm. on all public lands, you know? So we wrote the 1997 Refuge Improvement Act, and that's what has allowed every president since Clinton to open up all these national wildlife refuges for hunting. And you see it every year, you know, or every every new president or so, or every new, uh, you know, term is they'll open up 2 million acres of the National Wildlife Refuge to hunting and fishing. Right. You know, and so they'll open up a lake or they'll open up a parcel of this refuge and that refuge in all these different states. And, you know, hey, public land. And, you know, we, we got it. So hunting is one of the six priority uses of refuges. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's set the stage here. Well, the other side doesn't like that, obviously. And so they sued way back in the 2003 or whatever. And we slapped them down in court on that one again. Well, here we are, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here we are in 2022 and they sued Center for Biological Diversity and somebody else sued over uh, the over the uh, Trump expansions in 2020. Said they were against the Endangered Species Act and that hunters would trample critical habitat for endangered species and other animals. I don't know why hunters would and hikers wouldn't, but right. that's neither here nor there. Uh, they said that 
hunters in grizzly country could mistakenly shoot a grizzly bear when they're black bear hunting or out of self-defense. Yeah, that was an argument. Which they've, they used those same arguments in 2003 and they didn't stand up in court. Mm-hmm. What was new this time was they said that lead, lead ammunition and lead sinkers and fishing lure components are poisoning the land and water. We opened that up when we banned lead shot for waterfowl. Yeah, that was yeah. the. I even bought in, and maybe there's some validity to it. I haven't read the science, but but I preached that sermon as well in law enforcement, fish and wildlife law enforcement, and and uh, the non toxic shot deal, and watched the videos of the six swans on the tundra that had ingested lead shot, and you know, so so where do you draw the line between that science is valid and this is ludicrous what we're going to now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that becomes part of the talking point, you know, and becomes part of the precautionary principle. And, you know, it's easy to slide that down, but from well, a legal one is the campaign with the, with the bald Eagle, you know, how, yeah, they're ingesting animals that have been shot. Yeah, and that's the argument. That's yeah, that's so, the argument they're using is that the lead lead ammo from you know spent uh, from gut piles and stuff is killing falcons and poisoning. You know, it's going through the ecosystem. The well, there's a couple. Symbol. Yeah, well, there's a couple <laughs> of issues with that in that where they have instituted lead bans, i.e., California. You know, during the condor zone, they have the condors. The condor stuff has not changed nothing has changed all the animals are so there's an argument that they're getting it somewhere else so it's not actually gut piles and whatever else it's coming from some other source nothing's been proven you know so you don't know um i forgot lost my train of thought for a second well Um, well, and then the other thing is and the big thing is is we manage at the population level Mm -hmm. we don't manage for six eagles or falcons that got lead poisoning from whatever the source is if that population level is doing fine that's where we manage you know so you got to be careful there because then if you start saying well no every individual animal matters what are we going to do about deer and cars are we all going to stop driving cars because a lot of deer get killed and a lot of people are killed and billions of dollars every year spent you know on insurance claims when we hit deer so but deer as a population are doing fine we're not going to stop hunting deer or hitting them on roads you know and windmills good god they kill more birds than anything you know so so we you're you're, you're bringing all kinds of stuff to the table here and i i (laughs) I could get really wrapped up on and and rail on brian yeah but this case but this case is uh you know, uh, so we they sued over this expansion by Trump. We were setting the stage, filing our paperwork to come in as partners with the government to defend this these this expansion. And all of a sudden, the Biden administration just said, "Nope, we're going to go on a stay, and we're going to talk settlement with these guys." And we're like, "Why are you talking settlement? You know, we basically won this case twenty years ago." There's Strong case, strong precedent, strong yeah. legal, strong everything. But they went into negotiations with them. Secret negotiations. We weren't involved in it. No hunting group was involved with it. 
This was secret by the Biden administration. They closed doors, settlement. And then the senior guy let it leak at a meeting that, yep, they were talking about lead. And this is where we thought it was going the whole time. They're talking about banning lead on the refuges. Mm. And sure enough, they've proposed a rule now that's in the approval process comment period right now to ban lead on any future expansion of the refuge. So, and then <laughs> Deb Hallen rescinded an order that David Bernhardt, who is Trump's secretary of the interior, he created a website that made it easy for the public to see how much the government was spending on lawsuits, how much they were paying back. And then from 2012 to 2017, the government paid $4.4 billion in court settlements. So she pulled that website down. To who? Who did they to pay? Who? who did they pay it to? To all these litigant groups. Four point four billion to Center for Biological Diversity, to whoever would sue. This goes into the Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife, everything that the Department of Interior covers. And any lawsuit brought by an environmentalist that then they settled on. They can sue under the Justice Fund and the Equal Access to Justice, and get any get some or all of their lawyer fees and court costs reimbursed. Yes, you know, so it's been an abused system. Well, she took that website down. Is it out there? Yes, but it's not in great detail. It's not easy to find, and it's not timely. David Bernhardt's under Trump made it so they had to publish immediately within like 30 days what the settlements were, what the breakdowns were. Here it is. So she pulled that down. They published this, you know, proposed rule. And now they've gone into settlement. You know, they've pretty much settled on it. But we don't know what the settlement was, how much was paid, whatever. So here's where I get scary is you're on the, they say this only applies to future expansions of refuge systems. Like I said, they open up parcels of individual refuge systems or individual refuges. So in one part of one refuge, you could use lead. And then in the next field, you wouldn't be able to. You're going to have a patchwork, right? <laughs> very scary. Very like you could break the law so easy without even knowing it. So what would be the remedy to that? You just say, let's just make the refuge go lead free. Right. So and at the same time, they're going to conduct a study. I use air quotes, study uh, on the on the effects of lead, you know, and so we already know how that study is going to come out. Um, so you make the refuge system lead free. Well, if the science, according to this study, says that lead is bad, well, why would you limit that to just the refuge system? Mm -hmm. Make it all federal lands, national forest, BLM, can't use lead bullets at all anything well if it's good for that then why wouldn't it be good for state lands state public lands now the federal government can't tell a state what to do but what they can do is say if you don't follow our guidelines we're not giving you money right and the state disperses the dingle johnson and Pittman robertson dollars which is tens of millions of dollars for most states you know just like they did with speed limits and helmets and seatbelt laws if you don't have this, you're not getting this funding for your highways. Well, if you don't go lead free, you're not going to get these PR dollars. 
And so that is where this slippery slope is headed to. Wow. That would affect, that would affect so many facets of hunting. I mean, can you imagine houndsmen driving through a national forest, you know, bear hunting and they get stopped and they've got a, they've got a gun loaded with lead bullets. Boom. I'm telling you right now, and this is coming from a retired officer, you will get a ticket. Somebody will write you a ticket. There will be some old timers out there. They're like, "Eh, that's bullshit. We're not paying attention to that. But every generation of officers that are indoctrinated into the new system changes the culture and it will happen. It will happen. And in a lot of places, it's not that, uh, you know, you even have the gun loaded. You have it on you. Yeah. You know, you're in violation. And that's where it's like, oh, if everything is a patchwork and over in this field, I'm hunting pheasants and I can use lead and I walk over to this one. Even if I switch it out, I still have lead on me. You can still be in trouble. So, yeah. yeah. It it shall be illegal to possess any lead projectile, any lead based ammunition blah 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 while hunting and blah 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 um you know so so that's a that's a huge one and you think we had an ammo we you know we're finally starting to come out of the ammo shortage a little bit things are starting to loosen back up after two or so years of just bare shelves wait until it's down to you know non-toxic where everything has to be we don't even have the capacity to do that in america no i read something that uh all of the non-toxic capacity wouldn't fulfill California's demand alone. You know, so you want to talk about a shortage Not and to mention price, price increase? The technology of developing a, uh, a, a bullet that performs the same out of a custom rifle as just you're going to, you're going to shut down the firearms industry. Even. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, and like, I mean, even just let's say we even have the technology to rep, you know, reproduce the exact. These are literally like more rare earth metals. Yeah, there isn't as much. That's why they cost more, and that's why they're harder to find, and they're because they're more rare. Well, the right. more rare supply and demand, <laughs> the higher the price. <laughs> so even if we could do it and could meet all the demand, you still can't, and the cost is going to be astronomical. Yeah, they're just trying to make it, put it out of reach through legality. Economic. Yeah, yeah, economic, yeah, economic, legal. Yeah. They're they're fighting on every front, and you know, a lot of us, a lot of our guys are playing checkers while they're playing chess. Well, that that brings me to my next topic. Um, so we're talking a lot of doom and gloom stuff, and I think it's something that it's easy for you and I to do because we keep our eye on that ball. And it's easy to get drugged down in that. But um, I think we've done a very good job of telling people why they need to wake up and pay attention to what's going on. Um, What are some things, like the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance is an affiliate member with the Sportsman's Alliance. How How many hound hunting organizations do you know of in the United States that actually pay that affiliate membership? that i don't know (laughs) i have no idea because i'm not i'm not in the membership side so (laughs) i would be curious to know you know like sporting dog organizations we have quite a few but i'm I'm sure you know 
the hound world is just huge, you know. So even if you everybody had that $35 membership, it would go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, like Tree Dog Alliance, I think we pay we were paying 500 a year for the affiliate membership. Yeah. And and that way, but this is my challenge to to hound hunters out there is lobby your state organizations to pay for this affiliate membership. Um, you know, get out there, go to the Sportsman's Alliance website. It, all the information is on there where you could, your, your organization can do that. But I'm talking Tree and Walker Breeders Association, English Breeders, Plot Breeders. We all need to be back in an organization like, you know, the Sportsman's Alliance to help, to help combat this stuff. I mean, like you yeah. said, we can't be playing checkers today. We have to be playing chess. Yeah. And and I know that a lot of the old guard in these organizations has money that's earmarked. You know, it's for this uh, this award or that award or whatever that, you know, they're doing with their money. But, man, if you don't start spending it here, there's nothing – there's not going to be any reason for us to have a breeder organization or a state organization. Yeah. No, and I mean, hounds and trapping, those are the two things that are on the forefront, you know. As, as those two things go, so goes hunting. I mean, they use the same arguments and, you know, that's low hanging fruit. I mean, here in Washington, we can't, we can no longer cat or bear hunt with hounds. You know, unless, you're they, they the unless you're on the sheriff's posse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even that, you know, they tried to get at the training season and the legislature and everybody's dragging their feet on implementing it, you know, so you know, and, and this goes back to the nineties. They've been doing this for 25 years, 30 years now, and they'll go and they'll go right into it. They went into Idaho the same year, 1996 and tried to, tried to ban it in Idaho, which is, you know, a strong hound hunting state, there's but they gave many, it a shot. Yeah, they don't care. Hillbillies in Idaho. Yeah. But in Boise in the last ah, 30 it's years, changing, in the last, it? it's changing, you, you know, there, there's a lot of Californians moving to Boise there was a lot of refugees brought in to Boise. It's changing. And so yeah. as Boise goes, so goes the rest of the state. There's no safe there's no safe place for us, you know, anymore. I always thought Idaho was one of those states where it was and and they've they've done a good job of of holding the tide back, but you're exactly right. I mean, Boise's was it still the number one fastest growing city in the West or the United yeah, States? Yeah. Yeah. It's been booming. Yeah. Yeah, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Um, what else we need to talk about? I, I the appeal wow. for people to get involved. I'm just telling you, it's the time for complacency is over. Um, we've been preaching it since we started this podcast, and going to continue to carry that message forward. But yeah, um, what else can what else can people do, Brian? Well, I mean, from the good side, the positive side, we're going back to talking about culture, talking about ignorance, talking about what everything we started this with is we have to educate people. And we've started to do that with this high school course. We created a conservation science course. It's a 300, and I think this next issue or the next uh, edition is 350 pages. Wow. And it's- That's an impressive looking book there. Looks like a yeah. textbook. It is. It's a full-on textbook, and it's a full-on year-long class, 
that is in public schools. I think we are in seven states now. And well, this last year, I think it was five states, 71 schools, and like 2,000 kids took it. That was our first year. Wow. And it teaches science principles and principles of science using everything that funds the North American model. Hunting, fishing, trapping, boating, recreational shooting. Mm -hmm. So it breaks it down to those five units. So you can talk about drag when you're talking about projectiles. You can talk about density when you're talking about lead versus this other alloy. Right. You can talk about uh, whatever. You know, instead of instead of uh, dissecting a frog, one class had the game officer come in. He brought in a deer, hung it. They skinned it. They quartered it. They broke down into the individual muscles. They took the, the silver skin off. They wrapped it. They ground it. They did everything. Another class went fishing, caught fish, learned how to age them, scaled them, filleted them. Somebody else came in, taught them how to cook it. So you had home ec, you had science, you had outdoor stuff. And so this is a year-long class that breaks it through. And that's what we need to do. I mean, if everybody could be taking this, it explains the North American model using science and they're getting it not like one day where you go out and shoot a BB gun at an outdoor event. You're getting it every single day. You have homework, you have podcasts, you have everything to listen to. You do labs. It's very hands-on to teach this stuff, but it's breaking it down so they understand it so that later on, even if they don't become hunters, at least they can start questioning, wait a minute. That's not how the model works. Wait a minute. What's this? Right. You know, what's the overall population? What it gives them some education, some knowledge and some background, whether it's a semester or a year course in our, in our world. And what's different about this versus what everybody in the industry has, you know, if, if your hounds club has a hounds bay and every member brings their kids, that's great. I mean, that's fine. You just replaced yourself. You know, even if you have two kids, okay, you grew it a little bit, right. but you're not reaching the non-hunters. Right. This class reaches the non-hunters. It's this in the public school system. Yeah, this and it's in the public school system. Yeah, sustainable, you know? a sustainable model that, like you said, it's a year-long class that is going to make an impact on somebody's value system. Whereas uh, a lot of times, and I'm big proponent on youth programs and, and youth hunts and yeah, stuff totally. like that. It's great stuff, but so many times it's just a one and done type thing. Yep. You know, it's if, and, and there has been no vehicle for us to keep that rolling and keep it sustainable where this is. I mean, I can see, I can see kids taking this elective. And I always said this about NASP, the national archery in the Sh schools program they pushed us to be NASP instructors. And my whole thing was you show me in 10 years where, uh, archery hunting participation has gone up and I'll get excited about it. Cause right now all this is, is an alternative gym class. So some girl doesn't have to get sweaty playing dodgeball, you know, get hit in the <laughs> face with a dodgeball. Um, but, um, I'm excited about that class. That that looks like yeah. something that how do people get that information about the class and then pushing their school board to implement it? And also yeah. I think fish and wildlife agencies ought to be 
mandated to do this for Hunter Ed, just like our Hunter Education. Yeah, no, it's uh, we've got great support from the state of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Uh, Iowa's helping. Uh, I believe Michigan has too. Um, you know, grant money from Ohio and Pennsylvania, though, and from uh, Wildlife Restoration Act, some of those PR dollars are helping with this. Uh, if you want to get interested, it's conservationadventures.org. Um, but or call the office and ask for our conservation science. It's called a conservation science class because that's the first one we started with. Uh -huh. But we can do the same thing with English, history, uh, gym, whatever. Uh, and so, you know, call our guys. If you know teachers who would be interested in teaching this, have them call our guys. Our guys will help walk through the board process, getting it approved and getting it in there. I mean, so literally, if you know teachers who would, science teachers that would teach this, we have professional development days. We literally just did one yesterday um, for folks in Iowa, I think. Uh, so yeah, it's, we'll walk you through it. We have a whole team of guys uh, that are professional educators and people who have worked in curriculum development and they'll walk you through it and help you help you or help the teachers get it passed and get through and uh, teach it and uh, hand you everything. It's turnkey. Like we do, we have all the labs and the lesson plans. And so you don't even have to be a hunting teacher. Like yeah. you can teach science. That's what you have to teach. We're using the same principles. We're just putting it in, into this, you know, into our world. So it make, and it makes sense because it's, a daily application, you know, they get to do the hands-on stuff. So they understand it better. The reviews, when you read the reviews from the kids, like I get goosebumps every time, you know, they'll say things like, I had no idea conservation involved hunting and fishing. I just thought it was how many animals were on the land. What's really cool about this is that, you know, all this money being spent is going back into it to help scientists and to help the animals. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, I didn't think this would be my you know favorite class, but it was. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. And it's just our first year. So it was pretty resounding. You've you've lit a spark. Yeah, you lit a fire here, Brian. I'm telling you, I didn't know you guys were working on that. That was the that was the surprise of the day for me. Um <laughs> uh, when I see uh, an actual, I mean, these are lesson plans. You just need people that are willing to carry it forward and implement it yeah. and get it rolling in these schools. Yeah. And I think about all the stuff that I had to do as a conservation officer and thinking, man, this stuff isn't even making a dent. You would teach these, you would teach these hunter education classes in a science class and four or five of the kids out of 30 would actually be engaged the rest of them are writing notes and doing all this other stuff but when i see yeah, this man i get i get i'm fired up yeah and so there you know it's it's and this is where we act as kind of the clearinghouse for the industry so the teacher's like hey i want to do this or this okay here we'll hook you up with the turkey guy in your area for national wild turkey Federation. here's somebody from nta from the trappers and they brought traps in showed kids the traps here's the pelts the kids are all holding it, touching it, playing with the traps, uh, you know, whatever it, it, whatever can be done. We had conservation officers come in. We had, you know, a guy came in with his dog and showed him, you know, here's what he does. He tracks this or he does that awesome. hands on. Some kids are, uh, they're building a trail, a trail walk behind their school. So they're going through the permitting process. It's going to be a multi-year school project that each class does. 
building this nature walk through the school. Others put up game cameras and caught bobcats and deer and raccoons behind their school, you know? And so they're like, oh, they get to see this stuff and, and work on it. And, and it's just been awesome, you know? And so we can just hand it off to other people and bring other people together and bring the industry in on this. That's amazing. I, the thing that we have have said in the industry for a long time is we don't have to get every kid, but we have to expose them because they're going to be voters one of these days. And when yep. you put when you put something long term and sustainable, they helped build that nature walk. They helped, you know, they captured photos of of wildlife and different things. And then they've got the real science behind it. Those people are all going to go up and grow up and vote someday. And that's, we're playing them for the future. This is the best news I've yep. heard in a long time for hunting, hunting and fishing yeah. and outdoor lifestyle. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be huge. It is. It's huge. I mean, I've been in the industry 22 years now and it's literally the only thing I've seen that could actually move the needle. Exactly. You know, that it's working outside our funnel. It's reaching people that aren't in the funnel of hunting and fishing and trapping and it's exposing the general public kids to this stuff just like the other side is doing they're right. exposing their kids to and indoctrinating them into these other you know this disney type world and you know anthropomorphizing individual animals and giving them names and pulling on those emotional things and skewing the science to you know the precautionary principle yeah. You know, instead of like, no, here's the hardcore data, you know, and that's some of the lesson plans. Okay. There's X number of hunters in this state. There's Y number of deer. This many tags are sold. How much money does that equate to? Okay. Well, if you remove hunting from this, the deer, how many deer are going to be there in five years if they reproduce at this rate? So they do the math. That's part of it. Figuring out the math. How much money is lost? Well, how much do you need? How would you solve this problem? At what level, what level is this written for? What age? This is uh, for high school science, and it's pretty much for that uh, junior senior level. Okay. So it's that 11th, 12th grade level. Do you we might that, but, but you know the old data on if you don't get them, get them by the time they're 13, then you start, then you start losing them. It's an uphill battle at that point. So yeah. uh, well, that's, that's the great thing, right? Like that's, that's looking at it from a participatory angle. Uh-huh. This is in class every day. Like they're not, this isn't extracurricular where they have to dedicate their downtime. They can still have their screen time or play their sports afterwards. This is an hour in class every day. Yeah. You know, so they gotta, you know, they they have to learn it right. <laughs> if they want to pass past the class. But we are also looking at, you know, like a third grade reader. You know, it's not uh -huh. obviously not going to be this, but we've had requests to create a helpful reading program mm -hmm. for younger third graders. We've had colleges talk about upping it just a little bit as an introductory wildlife course for those who don't have wildlife backgrounds, you know, in colleges. And so, and then, as I said, you know, we've, we've looked at other classes also. All right. So... Yeah, we could geek out on this. I'm getting wound up on it, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna have some future conversation about Brian. But uh, give us give us a website where we can get more information on that program, and how we can refer 
other people to it so that so that we can get this ball rolling help you guys out yeah conservationadventures.org okay conservationadventures.org there's a contact us there's information there uh you know anybody that's interested send a message in look at that send a message in our guys will contact you nice. yeah send an email whatever or just hit us up at the sportsman's alliance yeah. sportsmansalliance.org or info at sportsmansalliance.org and more than happy that's great love work it. i love i love what you're doing there that's sustainable you know that's yeah. uh, and something that's going to help us into the future for sure yep. Brian, you got anything else for us before we sign off here, buddy? That's that's about it. Thank You're always you. a great guest. I always like talking to you. Yeah, I enjoy being here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else we need to know coming up in the any red flags you need to throw out there before we get, get this one wrapped up? Uh just uh pay attention to what is happening with the refuge case and uh Political pressure or comments that you can throw that way is great. Uh, yeah, we will see where that goes. And California marketing, those are those are the big things that are hitting right now. Wow. Well, Brian, I appreciate it, man. You guys keep up the good work there at Sportsman's Alliance. And uh, go to sportsmansalliance.org and pay your membership up. Convince your – I mean, put pressure on your, your hound organizations, your breed organizations to, to – pay that affiliate membership you can hear what kind of good stuff is happening at uh, sportsman's alliance and and you guys are are definitely worth worth our time to uh support you guys are fighting the good fight for us every day and you're underappreciated for sure well thank you very much for spreading the word and have us on all right brian till next Take time care. buddy you follow your hounds and i'll follow mine <laughs>